0: Shalom and welcome to another in our series of podcasts from Temple Beth Am, a dynamic center for conservative Judaism in Los Angeles. This is a recording from our 2021 Elul Learning Series.
1: Hi, everybody. It's wonderful uh, to be here with everyone tonight. I was checking today tonight. It's wonderful to be together. I am going to start us off with... Uh, ritual. Who knows? The ritual might evolve. Um, I don't know if it's even going to stick, but I am going to light a candle. In my house, it's just a sandalwood candle. It's not a candle with a blessing. I'm just lighting a candle to kind of give like a, a sensory experience to the space. So if you have candles in your room or if it's the kind of thing where you can go and grab a candle and you'd like to light it, um, I invite you to do that. Um, you're welcome to go and grab a candle and and light one in your space, too, so that you can share the the experience. You know, it's a sensory experience for me because I have a scented one. I've got scent and light, and I kind of hear it crackling, too. Um, And I'm opening with this ritual because we're going to talk about what it means to ground everyday life in ritual and to think about ritual expansively the thesis behind this whole class and behind my approach to ritual in general is that ritual is routine elevated that's it you can leave that was the whole class Uh, that's my entire approach to ritual ritual is a routine that's been elevated and there's so much more to it and to approaching ritual from a Jewish angle. And each of these several sessions ahead is going to be an opportunity for you to begin to understand the evolution of ritual from a sociological standpoint, which is partially what we're going to explore tonight, from a Jewish textual standpoint, which is a little bit more where we're going the following week, and for you to begin to think about the idea of innovating everyday rituals in your life. I do this all the time. You're going to hear me talk about ways that I pepper actually salt. Um, You're going to hear salt mentioned a few different times today in the class. so I'm I'm, uh, teasing that for you. I, I salt and pepper rituals all throughout my life. It is a genuine and authentic. Authenticity is another theme of ritual. Authentic part of my Approach to ritual and incorporating ritual in my life. I'm going to be using a slideshow each of the times that we meet. I'm going to make that slideshow accessible to you in the chat and it'll be in the show notes in the podcast so that when we hand off this recording to Bert, he can put that there as well. And uh, I'm putting it there now because in just a moment as I share the screen, which I'll do on and off throughout tonight. You're going to notice that I have some sources to share with you in case you're a reader like I am. I love reading. I'm going to keep this not in the full present mode because I'm going to interact with this a little bit. I want to remind you that if you're using um, Zoom that's pretty big on your screen... If you take it out of a full screen mode and you're on a computer, you're able to make um, the faces still pretty big on your screen. So you can go ahead if, if that knocked a bunch of faces off your screen and you want to see other people still, you can expand that a little more. So these are the sources that I want to suggest to you. And I have the books right here because when I took classes with Rabbi David Galinkin at the Schechter, at Schechter, the Schechter Institute, I learned from him that kind of having the books on your desk really does something different for you. It's not just for students to see them, but it does something for you because you can reference them yourself if you forget something. That's what he told me. So I, um, I have them all right here. Like they're, they're actually, I'm not just telling you about these books. They're actually sitting on my desk in front of me. Um, and these are some of the books I want to start us out with for today and a lot of the references that I use. And you don't, this is also my way of sharing with you that you don't need to take notes on this class because I'm giving them to you. So you can look at the slideshow whenever you like. I want to invite you right now to go to the chat and go ahead and type in some kind of a personal or family ritual. You can define ritual however you want to define it for right now, because exploring the definition of what ritual is, is exactly what we're going to do tonight and for the next few weeks. So go ahead and type in the chat some kind of a personal or a family ritual could be something you do at work, could be something that you do daily, weekly, maybe you just do it every summer, could be an occasional thing for you. I put the example here that every week we we bought this little Corgi and Queen salt and pepper shaker, this is the salt reference, and we put it on our Shabbat table and one week my son Yossi picked it up and he went woof woof. And he barked it at the little challah cover over the two hollowed on our table. And he said, woof, woof, and then yanked the challah cover off. And then the next week, he did the same thing, woof, woof, and he had the dog bark at the cover. And we all began to engage with this idea that the dog barked the cover off, right? And so now our little corgi dog, the queen... I don't know. She broke at some point, I think. And the corgi remains on our table. He's actually been patched up a few times, but he sits there and he guards the little, uh, the little challah cover until woof, woof, and we pull it off and it becomes a ritual in our house. I'm going to stop the screen share so I can read some of what you're writing. Ah, your spouse and you tell each other about your day in the evening. I love that, right? It's a way of connecting with people around you. A picnic and walk on the beach for Mother's Day. That's a lovely ritual. That's great. Shabbat dinner with our kids in person or on Zoom. Specifically, I love that Barbara says that every week Linda and Judy Cowan come over. I love that. That's fantastic. I know we're getting into very deeply Jewish rituals. Norm Green is sharing about how when they host Seder. They insist that everybody eats both the parsley and the potato on the seder plate. The carpas is celery, and Norm, it's amazing how rituals can kind of stretch from one family to another. So you go into one house, and they have something completely different on their plate. They come to your house and say, "Oh my gosh, a potato or 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 parsley? That's that's kind of crazy." But if I were to come to your house, I would feel right at home because on our seder table we have little potatoes with little bits of parsley stuck in them. So it's amazing how ritual even disparately can pull us together because your Seder table and my Seder table have the same ritual objects on them for consumption. So ritual and food also go hand in hand as we're hearing. Reading a Jewish story on Friday night after dinner, having a conversation about the meaning of the story. That's great. (laughs) Yeah, blessing blessing your child, even by phone. Hey, right? you can still hear me okay? Yeah, good. And uh, my mom needlepointed the same entourage for each of her grandkids off the collar of the talit. I love that. You know, that's and that's where tradition and ritual intersect. And of course, that's a ritual object. So we might get to that idea of the intersection of tradition and ritual, routine and ritual, where does one stop and one begin? Great. I'm going to return now to our screen share. Okay. And there's going to be time for us to hear each other's voices too, but I want to go back and forth because some people are going to be sharing by chat and some people also by voice. So we're going to go back to this, um, to the screen. And I'd like us to start now that we're thinking about what rituals we have in our lives. I'd love for us to actually share what um, what ritual is. In our lives, so what I'm going to do is I'm going to put a link in the chat. When I put that link in the chat, you can click on it and open it up in your browser. And I want you to answer this prompt: Ritual is. Ritual is, and you're going to answer it however you like, and we're going to see it grow. So I'll pull this up on our screen too. We're going to make a word cloud together about what ritual is to us as we begin. Here we go. All right, so I'll put my answer like ritual is. is, Okay, so as soon as other people will add stuff, we'll see it all gathering here. Good, it's calming and important. That's great. You can put in the chat and I'll add it too. Good, I like that. Yeah, if you put in the chat, I'll add it for you. Great. We'll see if there are any duplicates because those words will grow. Aspiring.
2: I love this. Great.
1: Great. Grounding. Hmm, anything else? We'll try one more time. Memory. Okay. Great. All right. So it's, well, we're going to keep coming back. We can come back to the answer garden and see if that garden grows a little bit. I want to go in just a moment to this idea that ritual is something that can be studied so i'll come off the slideshow for just a minute so that oh comforting too i love that oh body that's great repeated at regular intervals what a great transition Norm, you're you're a great plant love that speaking of growing in a garden you're a great plant i'm going to stop the screen share for a second and i want to tell you a little bit about my discovery of some of the authors and the researchers who i'm going to share with you in a moment and then we're going to explore together. I want to hear your voices on this next part about the idea of the meaning of ritual. So I have, oh, that one was Rachel. I, I like that you're giving credit. All right. So I have loved ritual ever since I got into the idea of mikvah. So years ago at American University where I was studying, I met um, Rabbi Leila Gal Orr. And she introduced me to this idea of mikvah as ritual and as ritual practice, and over the years, I became twice trained as a mikvah guide, and this idea of ritual immersion is something that really stuck with me. I love the idea of a ritual design. what appeals to me, what's compelling to me, is the concept that something that is an ages-old act, like covering halot with a hala cover, can be innovated, can be um, not improved upon, but rather grown and refreshed by a little kid barking a dog at the cover. It, that can be done at any time. And that's what ritual innovation is. It's creating something there. And even more importantly to me, what became beautiful about mikvah in my eyes was learning over and over again that there's no there's nothing tainted in an authentic ritual act through the innovation that's done so when somebody adds a step to a wedding ceremony when somebody adds a poem or a foot washing ritual to their daughter's baby naming ceremony. There is nothing lost. There's no erasure. There's no ruining or spoilage of the authentic ritual. It is rather an elevation of that ritual by their buying into it and lifting it up and making it more their own and connecting it to that authentic, ancient ritual. I've loved it ever since. I've been teaching a class for the past four years called Eight Ratzon at the Ziegler School of Rabbinical Studies which is a first-year class that centers on personal spiritual growth. And in that course, as I wanted to focus on ritual and ritual innovation and the idea that from the very get-go, all Jews, but especially Jewish leaders, are ritual innovators and teachers, I discovered the work of the Stanford Design Lab. And that's where I found this work of Ozink and Hagen, who do these books, Rituals for Work, and now they come up with Rituals for Virtual Meetings. And this next little part comes from some of the research that they did in their Stanford design lab. Now, they are doing very Jewish work, but not necessarily with Jews. You're going to see lots of resonance with Jewish stuff in what they do. But what they're interested in doing is taking surgical teams, right? They're interested in taking tech workplaces where they have people working in Japan and also in Pakistan and trying to find ways to use ritual to bring teams together, to create human connectivity, and I would dare say bring a little bit of spirituality into the mix by using ritual in those spaces and teasing that out. So I want us to take a look at this chart and fill it out together. This is a piece that I pulled from the book. The reference is at the bottom from Ozeng's first book for rituals for work. And basically there are these two axes. It says that ritual runs on this axis of up and down of some rituals that have very high significance and some rituals that have really low significance, right? Some things are going to be Super important, and some things are gonna be, I mean, not you know significant or impactful in life. They're just gonna be a little sweet something that's ritualized. And then on the other axis, you have how frequently it happens. This is what Norm was referencing. Some things we do regularly, they happen every hour or every day or every winter. And some things are truly once in a lifetime. And in each of these quadrants, we have the types of rituals that we recognize in our world. So I'd love to come up with some examples that fall into the categories at hand, right? I'd love to think about, for example, what's a high significance once in a lifetime ritual? You can unmute yourself and add.
0: A wedding. Uh,
1: Fantastic. So, so, a wedding. Or a I, mitzvah. A wedding. What, what was that?
0: A bar or bat mitzvah.
1: Great. A graduation. Great. In, in their book, I love the example given. Hagen and Ozink uh, put oath of office, taking the oath of office. I love that. Imagine that's truly once in a lifetime. Great. Let's go to something that's once in a lifetime, but it's way down on the scale of, of significance. Oh, I see some people are putting in the chat to a funeral for a parent. There you go. Um, the and Oh, I just did that one and cried all the way through. My little boy. What's what's a once in a lifetime but less significant? That's a tough one. Think about workplaces. The 25th day of third grade. First kiss. I love that because it's not necessarily significant. That's great. What did you say, Norm?
3: The 25th day of third
0: grade.
1: <laughs> <laughs> I love how specific that is.
0: <laughs> That's really wonderful. That is. I don't know if this is a thing in California, but in Toronto, it's very much a thing to count off the first 100 days of kindergarten.
1: Sure. Great. So the 100th day of kindergarten. Great. I love this because this is so Temple Beth Am. I swear this is the example that's given in the book. Intern goodbye lunch. It's so perfect, right? It's once in a lifetime, but I'm sorry, interns, it's not particularly significant. Okay, let's move to a different, let's move to a different, uh, quadrant. And I love, by the way, how much their examples push us to think about things as ritual that we don't necessarily categorize as ritual, right? A goodbye lunch, that's ritual. It could have been just lunch, but it's a goodbye lunch. We're doing one of those on Friday for cash. Um, We do a goodbye dinner, that's true, not lunch. Okay. What's of high significance and done at regular intervals? This should be easy for Jews. Shabbat dinner. Great. Fantastic. And then a whole bunch of other people who said Shabbat dinner, right? Okay. Shabbat dinner. Shabbat, Shabbat dinner.
0: dinner. Pesach
1: Seder. Um, Holidays and candles. candles. Yeah. Lighting candles. I like that. Lighting candles is, is nice. Great. Um, I, I'm going to challenge a little bit the like high significance lighting candles. I mean, I'm going to put it there, but I want us to really think about the high significance thing, right? For some people, it must be a very high significance, but let's really think high significance regular. I suppose it's much higher significance than say, you know, um, like I'm going to put in the, let's, let's skip to the lower ca- quadrant because otherwise we're going to run out of time if we spend this much time on every... Slide, but uh, I'll say, like, washing my car, okay, could be like quite the ritual. There's a guy on my street, and it is a ritual, okay? That's not his car, does not need to be washed. It starts out clean, but he's doing it as a ritual. He goes out there, it's a very nice car, I don't know what it is, and he's ritually washing it. And it's not very significant in sort of, maybe he would say it's high significance. I would say it's low significance, but he does it every week and it's his ritual. Um, anyone else have, oh, I'm going to go to the chat. Let's see. Oh, uh, Larry and Diane, the putting on to and davening. I'm guessing that was supposed to be for high significance, regular. <laughs> significance. Uh, oh, I was, I'm putting that instead of putting on the thing, uh, uh, to fill in wrapping. Yeah, the difference between routine and ritual. Absolutely. Um, so we're going to get to the definition of that in it very, I'm very shortly.
0: Thinking of my career was teaching in high school, and there's very much a regular rhythm to the school year. Um, and it wasn't religiously significant, and it really didn't feel professionally significant until I got near the end. Sure. And I was thinking, oh, I need to do this X or Y more times. But uh, the, the routine of, you know, the school year is a routine that I suspect a lot of people live with, even though they may not think of it that way. Can I throw so, out a challenge here? I think that there's a distinction that we're not making between ritual and routine. And it's not just that ritual is religious. And the example I will use will be performers, whether they be athletes or performers. There are a lot of things they do as a matter of routine because they practice and they do these things in order to 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 perform, but then there are certain things they do as a matter of ritual.
1: Correct.
0: And for them, the ritual has meaning beyond the um, repetition or practice or preparation. It Correct. has some, some, what's the word, it, almost irrational um, basis. Yes. So I think Correct. when you talk about washing your car, that's just routine. But so th- if you have to wash your car in order to go visit your parents, for example, maybe that's a ritual.
1: So, right, I'm speaking of washing, washing one's car as sort of a weekly prized possession, you know, maybe a better, I'll give you a better example of one, alright? A weekly polishing of a trophy, which is basically that with this guy's car, alright? So, uh, like a, uh, it, it, it doesn't, I don't want to give away the, the what makes a difference right now, because we're going to get there in a minute, but there is a significant difference and it's answering exactly your your challenge. So we'll get there in just a moment, I promise. Uh, we're going to go to the next slide. Um, great, I like your thumbs up there. Um, seventh inning stretch, love that. That's so great. Although I think that Larry Herman might argue that that's significant, but I'm going to put it here. Seventh inning stretch. Um, I think it's very significant too, in its own way. All right, do rituals work? I wanted to show you this picture and then I'm going to tell you a story. Okay. I love this picture so much. You know what this picture is of? Anyone want to take a guess? Prisoners in Alcatraz. You might think that's actually what I thought it was at first was a prison dinner. It's not. This is going to be fun for the podcast. It's a, it, I'm going to describe it a little bit. There's some, appears to be five men and they're eating something. Firemen. Very good, Bonnie. Excellent. I don't know if you clicked on the link on your own. I did not. I did not. Fantastic. That's a very good guess. I don't know how you got to firemen, but yes, these are firemen. they eat together a lot. That is exactly right. And, Bonnie, I think that someone should write a children's book about what I'm about to tell you. Okay? So, uh, because, Bonnie, I think you would love to read this children's book. This is the story of how a researcher, and you can read about it from, um, uh, you can read about this researcher and a little more about this story in the link that's on this slide. This researcher found that there is data to prove that firemen who eat together save lives. Okay, firemen who eat together, firefighters, Of all genders who eat meals together, more lives are consequently saved after those teams have eaten a meal together. And that became the basis of an entire project called The Spaghetti Project by Erica Keswin, who is the author of the Rituals Roadmap book that I am recommending as a part of the reading list for this class. And it's an amazing thing to think about the effectiveness that ritual can have on teams and on individuals. So it's an important question to ask, like, why bother with ritual? Well, what's the point of ritual? I dial it all the way back to the question of do rituals work? And that's what interests, interests the social scientists who study these topics, Right. Well, like, what's the point of doing rituals if they aren't actually effective at doing what they say they do? And they're very effective. And we're going to talk about some examples, some other examples of people who do this. And this goes to one of the things that Larry was referencing, which is that people individually and on teams who have important tasks ahead of them have routines that they need to follow or choose to follow. And they also have rituals. So there are some examples, beautiful examples of this given in her book. Uh, It is kind of like the placebo effect for medicine, Teibel, but it's something more than that because it may actually achieve something beyond placebo. It achieves uh, something that we're going to get to in the very last slide, but I will tease out, which is something called psychological Safety. Okay, it's one of the three Ps, according to Erica Keswin. So you're right, there might be a placebo effect there, but there actually is a psychological safety that's achieved for a group when a group ritual is performed or takes place. So Keswin tells this great story in her book about the New York Times snack cart and how every day in the busiest press room that you could possibly imagine, people furiously typing away at their desks at a certain point in the afternoon a snack cart would roll through and everyone would look up get up from their desks and they would all congregate they would grab their snacks from the carts and they would take a break together and it was this terrific bonding event and all of a sudden there were some cuts one time in the newsroom and the the snack cart disappeared and there was this terrible kind of depressed energy in the afternoons in the office. And they realized that it was the lack of this ritualized experience. People were bringing their own snacks. It wasn't that they were missing the snacks itself. It wasn't that they needed the sugar. It wasn't a sugar low that they're experiencing. It was the ritual of the snack cart, which is a clue towards one of those things that I'm teasing makes the difference between routine and ritual. Hello. The next thing Mama. is the haka. Mama. Hang on, just one second. Are you blowing out my candle? That's make my ritual very difficult. So if you blow out my candle. One thing that's very ritualistic is
3: when you're putting a patient, taking, getting a patient ready for surgery. Yeah. When you see the patient before surgery, you wash your hands. It's
1: You know, it's a very ritualistic thing in medicine for surgery. Yeah. So that was another one that I was going to mention is this idea that some people have routines about the way that they scrub into surgery, about what they do with their surgical teams before surgery. And this is one of the things that was studied at the Stanford Design Lab is the way that people come together before they do something, particularly something that might be a nerve wracking task or that you'd be concerned about the way that the team is coming together around. So absolutely, that's a really common thing. Uh, the haka, the uh, New Zealand All Blacks rugby team, has anyone ever seen the haka, the, the ritual dance that's performed? Yeah. I encourage you to Google this incredible um, dance that's uh, performed and it's performed as a dance of intimidation towards the other team, Okay, Now rugby is not about dancing not at all. But when they perform this beyond a huddle, right, far beyond a huddle, when they perform this huge, masculine, uh, grand display of energy together, it's a totally coalescing experience for them. Third thing, and I want to bring up this amazing example before I move to this idea of, um, of examples of how Jewish, Jewish rituals work in, um, in life, Northwestern, North, there, I'm, I'm going to tell this story backwards for how, from how it's told in Keswin's book. There's somebody who works in student life on Northwestern's campus, who just a couple of years ago, remembering that this is the year 2021, just a couple of years ago, a student came up to him and said, my goodness, I cannot imagine my student experience without the extraordinary ritual of marching through the arch on the way out, uh, I guess, on the way in and also on the way out at graduation. Well, this idea of marching through an arch on campus, this student was referring to it as if it was this decades-old, centuries-old tradition on campus, and it had been invented in 2007. So uh, it had been introduced only a few years earlier, but it had to it this feeling of gravitas and authenticity. So I would love for you to contribute into the chat. What do you think that it is at, about a ritual that makes it feel authentic? Because I think that authenticity is a key to Jewish ritual. What makes a ritual feel authentic? Not what makes it authentic, what makes it feel authentic? Feel free to answer that question in the chat as we move to the next slide. Let's compile a small list while you're working on, and uh, we'll come back to the chat in just a minute. While some people are typing in the chat, their ideas about what makes a ritual authentic. I want us to think about examples of rituals that really work in Jewish life. What rituals do you feel really work at home? And we can use these categories loosely. It doesn't have to be exactly at home or at in the synagogue, but what really works as a ritual at home? What's really effective? Friday
3: night candles. Okay. Reading with your children at bedtime.
1: Great. And what's particularly Jewish about that? Well, it's learning. It's um it's being together. Okay. Let's tr- I'm going to put it here. Let's try to be specifically Jewish about this. Maybe uh almost what's the word I'm looking for uh Mm, not exclusively Jewish, but something, uh, let's try to to make it explicitly Jewish. That's the word I'm looking for, explicitly Jewish. But I get, I, I think you're right. Reading with kids at bedtime is explicitly Jewish in its own way. Um, what else is a great ritual in Jewish life that just works at home? I'm going to add kissing the mezuzah because I think that just works, right? Mm-hmm. Passing through. Did, did, was that happening? Did the Mishik household also have that example? Baruch Okay, great. What else works at home? Blessing your children. Great. Blessing your children. Let's get one more. Havdalah. Love it. Havdalah. Yeah, that, that's fantastic, right? Don't just bring Shabbat in, but... Let Shabbat go and re-enter the week together. I love that idea. Great. What's an example of a ritual that just works in Jewish life?
3: Uh, pre-holiday meals, Arab holiday meals, and Shabbat meals also. Fantastic. Friday, the night, the
1: night one that to bring in. Great. The, the holiday. To bring in the holiday. Fantastic. Let's go to the synagogue. Let's go to communal life. What's a ritual that just Works. I love this—the
0: spontaneity, but not ensure that like when certain announcements are made, there's this automatic response of like Mazel Tov or Yasher or whatever Great. is the appropriate greeting that everyone seems to do simultaneously.
2: Um, I well, in the chat on the high holidays. Uh, hearing, them. yeah, so far. Uh, I think the whole having a kiddish for most congregations which is an actual meal where people can have conversation because there are many faith communities that don't do that. Great, fantastic. I love that. This idea that
1: that oh, it it really is connected to this idea of seudat mitzvah, right? You've done a something and I by the way could throw seudat mitzvah into the like at home or maybe that middle Venn diagram category where that really that really nails it that's the spaghetti dinner uh cream on top right that's that's what makes the event right you've you've all gathered around and then that really makes it great what else hearing, hearing the torah on shabbat and holidays i totally agree great and i would add in here oh, and, and i know daily really what's that even monday and thursday and saturday night not just right any that the right ju- anytime the Torah is read and there's this ritual kind of gathering around and having a sensory experience of the Torah that isn't just reading in the mm-hmm. book, I agree, i uh-huh. uh, I would add to this even though it's sort of an at home thing as well. Mm-hmm. In fact, I'm going to add it to the at home category. I'll add I think Shiva works. I think Shiva as a general ritual and all the rituals around Shiva as a category work. We're going to stop here to go to the to the next slide. But first, I want us to stop the screen share and go to this chat so we can think about the things that make ritual authentic. Um, transition, making it not forced. Great. Being a part of something with others. Positive feedback, either internal or external. Okay. Feel connection to the past, the present moment, or to the future. Even better, all three. I love that. Oh, good. And then people were adding in different examples of I love that. Yeah. Understanding what's expected. That's good. That's good. I think when we get to what makes a Jewish ritual feel authentically Jewish, we're going to come up with other answers about, um, for example, when it comes to the liturgy, the idea of incantation, ritually. Why is it that even the most secular Jew doesn't request of a rabbi to do mourner's Kaddish in English. The answer to that question for me lies in the idea of a ritual and incantation. The idea not to, I'm not making light of the idea that, you know, Harry Potter or witches and wizardry are connected to um, Jewish recitation of mourner's Kaddish, which is a, a, A critical and uh, sweet piece of our tradition, but rather this idea that we actually believe that by saying a formula of words in an ancient language, Aramaic in this case, can somehow affect something, maybe in us, maybe in the heavens, maybe for the soul that we've lost. So there's something about the ritual of that that's really important. So, authenticity to Jewish ritual has its own sensibility as well. I feel very strongly
0: with Mourner's Kaddish in particular that it's the sense that this has been going on for generation after generation after generation. And so on. That there's a longevity that gives it importance, whether you understand the words or not. Um, and Absolutely. the
3: easier if you don't, in fact.
0: And and to me, I I think some of us are reacting to the word incantation like magic spell. The only one who's going to feel uplifted for Mourner Scottish is the mourner, and that's a maybe. Um, not necessarily, but maybe. Uh, But I I mean, I I just think we need to to think about that. Excuse excuse me,
3: yeah, Um, admit. I, uh, I, I. I, I have a tablet here because, uh, I didn't want to interfere. Uh, 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 they, uh, use, uh, several of our computers, uh, for YouTube. So, uh, I don't know how to share, but, uh, with regard to the kiddish, well, you know, everybody knows Abe and I loved to do, uh, kiddishes at Shul. But, uh, how do I take some ceremonies into the home, uh, with Abe, who cannot go outside, uh, uh, and go to the shul anymore. What do I do? What do we do? So frankly, we have, uh, every Shabbos, we have uh, like a smoked fish, what used to be the brunch, but now we have it for a Shabbos lunch. And, uh, well, uh, Always ensure Adonai Kind comment was like the little segue to go to the kiddish. And uh, so we do Adon Lam, named Kalahino, And, uh, Abe now is drinking beer. So, uh, we make Shehakal on, I do, we do the kiddish, make Shehakal on beer and, uh, the, the blessing on the breads. And that way, that's every Shabbos that we're doing it. Now we've been doing it now for the longest time, uh, and too long a time to tell you the truth. But it does, it, it, it does, it is somewhat ritualistic and it is something of a crossover from what was to what
1: is for us. That's it. Uh, and that, that is, such a beautiful example of the way that somebody can exercise ritual and in- innovation and invoke authenticity, forget Jewish authenticity. It's just an an evocation of the authenticity of kiddish a little smoked fish or whatever that makes it kiddish and the Adon alum, right? And that transitional moment, you described it so well. And that's exactly as we approach this idea in this course of innovating for ourselves, rituals in our homes. That's exactly the sort of resonance I would love for us to seek out. I'd love to hear from Tybel and then we're going to go to a short activity together. So Tybel,
2: jump on in. Um, just something, I don't know, just something that I thought of or reminded of which it's almost a reverse engineering thinking about ritual. Um, I had written a thesis on children in nursery schools, now called preschools, I'm sure, which is how, on average, how old they were when they started understanding the structure and the schedule of their day. And it occurred to me that's what preschools do. They use the ritual of a schedule that things happen in certain order because in that way they can start teaching children about the world and the children know what to expect. So I thought about it more as when you're asking what's ritual in a way, ritual is so important that we use what I'm calling reverse engineering to rear children. I don't mean Jewishly, but just in general. It's a, it's a wonderful point. And Ty, well we are going to
1: get to the point that both now you and Larry have raised, which is this idea about the the difference between ritual and routine and the role that practicality has to play in that. And we're going to get to Ozeng's theory on that, which I agree with him wholeheartedly about. So we're going to get to that in about four minutes maybe, but first, an activity. So uh I am hoping that you might, somewhere near you, if you don't, if you don't have all the supplies for this right now, they're very easy to grab supplies. I did this on purpose. Uh, if you don't have these nearby now, you can try this later, but I want to invite you to grab salt, keeping with the theme of the day. I want to invite you to grab salt, paper, and some kind of a writing instrument. That's it. So just grab a pen and paper. And if you can grab a salt shaker from nearby, that'll do it. Um, And we're going to do a short activity together. I'll give it a moment. Now, what we're going to do is we're going to take that piece of paper and some sort of writing implement. And I'm going to do this with you right now. And we're going to write down something that we are not looking forward to having to do tomorrow. Anything. Something that we are not looking forward to having to do tomorrow. Now, once it's written on the page, again, you can try this out later. If you're not doing it right now, it's very easy. I invite you to sprinkle some salt on these words. Okay, so just a little bit, a tiny bit of salt on these words. Take this paper and crumple it into a ball that's it. Just totally crumpled into a ball. And that is the entire ritual. There's a whole study that's done that people who were heading into a karaoke bar, who were nervous about going and getting up and singing in front of a bunch of people, when divided into two groups, and one group wrote down their whatever they were nervous about and participated in this very ritual, and the other group did not. The group that participated in this ritual reported that they had just through the roof better experiences than the other group. They felt perfectly fine. Little rituals in our everyday life just work. Almost anything can be ritualized. And the point of this ritual is to get ourselves also on the extreme away from Jewish ritual and also away from the extremes of the complexities that can sometimes mire uh our attempts at creating ritual like oh they must be complex they must have fancy things involved and instead think about simple things i'll give you another example from Ozank's work and we can look at a couple of these videos about some of the rituals invented in our next course but there was a graduate student who every time they went to go work from the library they pulled a rock out of their backpack and they placed it on their desk and thus began their writing time. And when they completed their writing time at the library, they put the rock back in their backpack and they were done. And that signified the end of their studies. And that did that for them. It ritualized their experience. What rituals do is they decrease anxiety. They support people through transitional moments in their days, their weeks, their years. And again, this can be done when it's routine. And it can also be done when it's the once in a lifetime thing, whether it's the oath of office, or whether you're talking about lighting candles and going into Shabbat. Or if you're talking about what else did we say polishing our trophies. It's just it isn't Sunday afternoon unless I'm polishing my trophy. I have no trophies to polish, by the way. It helps with group motivation and bonding. Like I said, when I gave that example of the Spaghetti dinner with the firemen or also the example of a surgical team scrubbing in, right? It increases creativity, helps people in letting go of their anxiety, their creativity goes through the roof, but also it awakens things when people say, "Oh i I've lit a candle now now I'm in the zone." It improves the quality of the experience because you've elevated something. It's no longer just ritual, it's routine. You've elevated the experience so it becomes a better quality. It helps to release people from the things that they're stuck in the cycles of doing and it's actually proven to help release from addiction. There's a really wonderful study in Ozink's book about this. It also helps people feel in control. I can't control that I have to do something tomorrow, but I can write it down on a piece of paper. I can sprinkle something on it. I can crumple it in a ball and I can say, whew. I am releasing some of my big feelings about what I have to do tomorrow. Here are the principles of rituals that can be distilled from all of what I just shared. This is finally getting to the point of, then, what makes a ritual a ritual? If all of the above is true, then rituals must have a magical je ne sais quoi factor. They must. There has to be a little bit of a something sparkly and special about them. Otherwise, there is nothing to it. Number two, rituals have to be done with kavana. Ozink and Hagen wouldn't say kavana, but I say kavana. They have to be done with intentionality. You can't just do them. That is one difference between routine and ritual. They can't just be done. Okay? You can't do it mindlessly. It must be done with intentionality. The person has to be tuned into it being a special moment or the group has to be tuned into it being a special moment. Otherwise, it is not ritualized. It's not ritual. Number three, a ritual carries a symbolic value that gives a sense of purpose. And that's beyond the practical. Now, what I love about this definition, I'm finally answering your question like 40 minutes later, Larry, but here's what I love about this exact wording. It doesn't mean that there cannot be any practical purpose to the ritual, right? Maybe it does make my trophy a little shinier, right? Maybe my Shabbat table actually could use the light produced by the candles, but that can't be the sole purpose of it. It can't just be for practical purposes. It must also be something beyond the practical and that's what makes it ritual. And fourthly, A ritual is not stagnant. It has to evolve over time to better suit the people and the situation. So a ritual doesn't stay the same. Eventually, a ritual becomes something new, either in the hands of the next generation or maybe just in the hands of the same family. Even the ritual of the little dog on my table has become something different. These four principles are the principles that the Spiritual Design Center at Stanford came up with. I add two principles. These are Rabbi Cantor Hillary Torney's two principles. So if I were to go and study at Stanford, I'd have to test these out by the very smart people who do these uh, studies. But these two things I hold by. Number one, I think the Jewish rituals demand authenticity. And I think Jews demand of them a feeling and a look of authenticity to the tradition. Even the most Secular Jews demand a sense of authenticity to the secular. So somebody was bringing up labels table in the chat. I'm so sorry that it's gone. The idea of gathering around Jewish deli cuisine still relies on what makes for authentic Jewish food, right? There's something about it that that demands an authenticity to the experience that wouldn't be the same if those same humans were sitting around a pizza. It just wouldn't. And the second thing is that I believe that there's something beyond the fourth principle that Ozank holds by, which is this idea that rituals evolve. Jewish rituals... Actually, get stronger through repetition. And there's an idea of chazaka, right? Getting a chazaka on something. That if you do something at least three times, it's tradition. It's ritual, right? If you sit in the same place three times, that's your that's your makom kavua. That's your set place in a room. That rituals really do get stronger through repetition. Once you have done something a few times, it becomes the way, and that ritual becomes more and more ingrained. And I think it's connected to the previous principle I'm suggesting, which is this idea that authenticity is garnered through that strength and repetition. Because the longer you have a chain of that tradition, the more authentic that ritual grows to be. So this is all the backdrop for our conversation about how we are empowered to generate and grow ritual in every realm in our lives. Next week, we're going to begin with this idea of the three piece of ritual from Keswin, the idea of psychological safety and purpose and how when those two things are combined, we get better performance in our life. And performance can mean everything from a stronger shul community to a safer surgery for that surgical team I was referencing. So we're going to explore that next time and also get deeper into Jewish tech. And we're going to have a little bit of a um, first stab, a first working opportunity at thinking about what kind of rituals each of us might want to think about crafting this season for the first time. If you've never crafted a ritual for yourself before, this is going to be an opportunity over the course of this course to begin crafting that either hand in hand with somebody else who's here. With my guidance, totally on your own, with somebody else in your household, whatever it is that inspires you. So that is the end of class one, coming in at exactly an hour, and I'm going to pause here for questions. Any thoughts or questions? Also just thoughts. You can just talk at at me,
2: at each other. Tybal, you're welcome to jump in. Um, I just wanted to say on your chart that said what rituals do, and the first thing was actually anxiety. The best thing I ever wrote for me experience both writing and doing it was my child's up Sharon. And it started because he finally had hair when he was two and a half. He was, he was worried about what a haircut was. I didn't want his haircut. And I thought, well, this is what Jewish ritual is supposed to do for me. He's two and a half. We have six months to get ready. And we talked about it as a family and we, it was this whole, like going up experience, getting ready. And his up shearing was amazingly wonderful for the parents and the child. That's fantastic. I, I love that
1: because I love the idea of that particular type of ritual being anxiety reducing. Because in that case, it's the kind of thing that you might have done anyway. And it also benefited. So it has that beyond quality that I love so much, this idea that it does something beyond the practical. Um, and in this case, it's beyond what you might have thought was may, required by the I tradition.
2: May I tell you? Yeah. Not in my family tradition, were Litfesha, Misnagdesha, not in any of my <laughs> teachers. No one had ever heard of it. it. It, it was just I just thought Uh, this is what Jewish ritual is supposed to do. It's supposed to help you go a milestone, but we'd never been to. I mean, it's a whole thing. But in my case, it it wasn't in my family repertoire, not in my teacher's repertoire, not in my rabbi's repertoire. So we did it differently than a Hasidic of
1: Sharon would be. I I love that. I love how you incorporated it. And it sounds like it did wonderful things. Um, uh, Diane and Larry.
0: Okay. So as Larry and I were talking, we were thinking about a couple of people that we know who reject ritual. Mm
1: -hmm. And
0: I'm wondering, I I mean, I, I have something, a glimmer of an answer about what makes people reject ritual. It has to do with not wanting to feel connected for whatever reason mm. and, and wanting to feel like outside of whatever it is that because ri- ritual makes connections in community and it's about wanting to be outside of that sort of rejecting it in a very specific way.
1: Yeah. I mean, it's, I've never considered that question before. And I know that there are people who reject the idea of ritual I want to think about that a little bit more. Part of me, my gut reaction is to say, my guess is that they reject the idea of, it's to get the philosopher's answer about God, right? They reject the ritual that I also reject, right? The ritual that they don't like is also the ritual that I don't like, but that they probably do have a set of rituals in their life, they would just call it something else, So maybe they do reject connective rituals and overtly religious rituals, but my guess is, you know, even rock climbers who go out and solo hike have rituals about the way that they act and we just call it something different. But I want to think about that more because I do think that there is something to, to people who would name the rejection of rituals that's important for us to consider, particularly as all of us here have... Uh, a stake in wanting a ritual community to thrive, a ritually-based community to thrive? So that's a wonderful question. And uh, I'm going to keep thinking on it and come back to it. Uh, Bonnie. Well,
3: I've had to add the ritual of saying Kaddish and going to
1: Minyan. And I have found it very, very helpful. Um, But I always had a ritual also of writing every morning, journaling. And I have
3: added, my, my grandson, Joey, gave me a, a little book on um,
1: uh, Kaddish um, reflections. And there's something for each day for a whole year on uh, Jewish wisdom of various kinds, Talmud, Torah, uh, Kutzker Rebbe, different, different people. And it talks a little about each thing. And then I reflect on how that is impacting or what my thoughts are vis-a-vis my life now what what my life was like with and without larry and again it's been it's been very i love that that's a comfort to you Um, i love that somebody put that tool in the universe right i i love that someone thought you know what somebody else might want an opportunity to have a little bit of torah to spark them thinking every day Um, And part of of what I want all of us to take out of this exploration of ritual is that the yin and yang, that the rest of whatever authenticity doesn't take up space for is the room for you to make ritual your own. So part of what makes a ritual great, from my perspective, and maybe I'll come up with a great thesis, or we all will together, is the space that a ritual leaves for you to do what you need with it. So there's the part of it that's authentic and feels rooted and like, oh, I have to do this because that's what makes this this. But also that this journal, for example, it gives you space to write what you need to write. And um, I think really great rituals give you space to put into it what you need into it and get out of it what you need out of it. So that's beautiful. And um, I'm glad it can be an additional comfort. I loved gathering with all of you today. Uh, I'm going to blow out my candle to end. Form matching content. I invite you next time if you'd like to bring a candle to do so. It's really simple. Or you can suggest a different ritual that we can try on for size. And um, I I look forward to creating ritual space in Elul with all of you and seeing what evolves in the space together. So I'll see you very soon. You have been listening to another in our series of podcasts from
0: Temple Beth Am, a dynamic center for conservative Judaism in Los Angeles. If you enjoy these podcasts, we invite you to write a review on the Apple podcast site or wherever you get your podcasts.